Welcome to the OA Light a Candle Meeting Podcast. Visit our website at oalaig.org where you will find several speaker feeds with over 800 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. The opinions expressed on the Light a Candle Podcast are those of individual OA members and do not represent OA as a whole. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, S.Z. I'm Essie, compulsive overeater. Hi, So happy to see you all. And um, before I begin, congratulations to all the chip takers and to all the returnees and the newbies. I always say to people, if you don't hear what you need, keep coming back. And I've stayed, it'll be 30 years, March 20th, and I've just never left. And what I thought I'd do is share what happens what it's like today and everything in between in the next 30 minutes. Um, Just a word about anonymity, which Leslie and I just talked about, is that I'm very anonymous in the rooms, and I really treasure that, and I think it's principles before personality, so I I just really, really take a moment to let God take care of it, but God takes care of all of us. So just to qualify for a moment, um, it'll be 30 years in March, of coming and never, ever leaving. I wish I could say that my food plan was always the same, but in 30 years I started with a 19-year-old body, and very in a few, works, few weeks it's going to be a 50-year-old body, and it's also um, given birth to four children and done a lot of other things. And so the food has changed over the years, but I can tell you that sugar and white flour are not my friends. They've never been my friends, and they are to me a form of violence. Um, but I have never left the rooms. I've stayed, and I've always come back, and I work the program, and I'll tell you how I do that in a little bit. Um, When I was seven years old, I used to go into my walk-in closet and pray to God, however you understand God. I always tell people there's 88 names for God and only 500 words of the Old Testament, and so call God whatever you want. Um, And I used to pray that my life was going to be much bigger. It had to be bigger than the life I was living. And it was because I came from a very violent home, a middle-class Jewish home, which is supposedly perfect on the outside, and yet inside had physical violence, drug abuse, bulimia, alcoholism, and a whole bunch of other secrets. And only much later, when I get recovery, do I find out why all my friends weren't allowed to sleep over, because everyone knew except that I thought we were keeping a really big secret. And what I learned in those years of living with um, two very, very um, young parents was that uh, they did the best they could. They now are both deceased. They both died young, and I have nothing but love for them now. Um, That being said, what I learned from the experience was they were violent, and so the way to live in the world was to be violent. And the way I was violent was with food. And my brother practiced a different type of violence, which is his anonymity, but that was my form of violence. So whatever I could do to hurt myself had to come in the form of starving, eating. It had everything to do with food. And, you know, I watched my parents, both bulimics. I watched all this, and... My line in the sand was, if I threw up, that would be the problem. So everything else was free and clear. Um, And when I went at 19 to college, I gained 50 pounds 
in one year, and I was playing for a competitive tennis team. So that means the volume of food was enormous because I had lost the ability to control the anorexia. And um, today I maintain a 25-pound weight loss. I've been about 15 pounds lighter in program. My hormones have a different plan in my food plan this year, so I'm just, like, giving it over to God. Um, and my mother shared with me that there was these rooms, and she, she was not in recovery, and I went to the rooms, and a 49-year-old woman was sharing that she was getting a divorce and she wasn't eating. And nothing about her life was anything like my, you know, Ivy League life in college, and yet everything about it was the same. And I walked into those rooms in January of that year, 1989, and I never left. And I knew that God had big, big, big dreams for me, and they could not be realized if I was literally in the food 24-7. And that's what I did. That's what I did. I was an expert. I always say it took me 18 years to perfect the disease, so I was giving myself 18 years of permission to actually learn what the first step really truly was. Um, and I got a sponsor, and I just want to share a little bit about how I worked the program. I got a sponsor, my first sponsor I had for about seven years, and then my second sponsor I had for about, someone's going to do the math in the room, whatever, 12 years, and she passed away. And my third sponsor, who I talk to Monday through Friday, 7.15 every morning, I've had for the last 17 years, or whatever the math is, do the math. <laughs> and um, we talk at 7.15, she's not my friend, she's my sponsor. And... Um, I only laughed because for two years I started calling her and every morning, Monday through Friday, and she would say to me, so am I your sponsor yet? And I'd be like, no, you don't want to be my sponsor. All the people around me die, and so you don't want to, like, have a death wish. And she'd be like, I'll take the risk. And she said, God's got my back. And that's kind of how I've lived my life. Um, so I talk to her each morning. I do two meditation books. I meditate and pray every day. That's being said, I'm perfectly inconsistent. I'm perfectly inconsistent. The one thing that I've done really well in this program is be imperfect, which was my disease, which was that I had to be perfect all the time for everyone. And I'm really, really imperfect today in every single way. And um, I say the first 10 years of my program was about um, powerlessness. The second was 10 years was about acceptance, and this third year is about integration. And the way I say that is that the third 10 years, um, the first 10 years, I didn't even tell a single soul I was in program. And I worked the steps. I've worked the steps many times. Um, I do a 10-step each day. I pray. I can tell you more about that if you guys ask. Um, but what happened was the first 10 years, I was just powerless, and I had so much shame, just the shame of my life. The second 10 years was a lot about acceptance, that this was my disease, and I was going to live with it for the rest of my life. And so I either could be angry about it, I could be sad about it, I could be upset about it, I could do a billion things, but I just couldn't leave the rooms. That's it. And I threw a lot of tantrums in my second 10 years, a lot of tantrums. I don't want to go to a meeting. And in the third 10 years is about integration. Um, being a Kvelsover eater is part of who I am, and it is deeply intertwined with my story and my narrative, and it's deeply intertwined with God, and I am incredibly, um, it is me. It's just part of me. Um, I would say that my biggest 
part of program is God. And some people know that I have a professional career in God, but I um, that's not why. I just really believe that God has bigger dreams for me. And the funny part is I used to dream in that closet when I was eight that um, I wanted a white house that was safe with a white picket fence. And I didn't dream very big when I think about it. I just wanted like a safe house to live in. And my life is so unbelievably big, and that's how I know that God has bigger, bigger, bigger dreams for me. I mean, I didn't even think I'd voluntarily gain weight to have a child. I thought that was going to be, like, a non- that was a non-starter. And I did it four times. Um, and each time I did it with God and with my doctor, never looked at my weight. And what I tell women who have trying to get pregnant, have pregnancy, whatever, I never looked at my weight, let my doctor and God take care of it. I give birth when I gain 31 pounds. It doesn't matter if the baby is nine months, 10 months, six months. That's what my body does. And it made me have a lot of understanding that I am truly powerless over my body. Truly powerless over my body. Um, I'm a little bit at a loss for words. It's funny. I was such a talker in my first 10 years. I'm getting much quieter in my later years. And to say it like 30 years, it's like, I really feel like I'm on the same day. And as I was walking out the door, I said to my husband, I'm leaving. He's like, our marriage? I'm like, no. (laughs) And he said, I said, to a meeting on the speaker. And he was like, oh, right. It's like so integrated into our life that I forgot to mention the part where it's like, no, I'm just going to a meeting. Um, I do go to at least three meetings a week. I'm a direction follower. I I, I find that in these rooms, following the directions just works. And in other places of my life, I'm a rule breaker and I'm a a boundary breaker. But in these rooms, I sort of just do what I'm told. And, you know, I've been struggling of late, and I'll get very present. I've been struggling of late of what it means to... um, to say goodbye to youth. And coming up to 50 is is no easy feat. And um, I have a lot of feelings about it. And in some ways, I'll just share that, you know, I've had a lot of grief in these rooms, both demonstrative grief of my parents dying and other losses, but also like the grief of losing my youth, so to speak. Someone in the room is like, I'm 70, I'm 80, it's not, you're not young, you're still young. But Whatever feeling you're in in that moment is real to you. So that idea that there were kids starving in Africa, yes, there are kids starving in Africa. But if your God can't hold those kids and can't hold that you have deep and a deep desire to eat everything, then you don't have a big enough God. And what I learned over the years was um, with my sponsees is that we needed to fire a lot of gods and um, hire a God that really is expansive and big enough to really handle both the kids in Africa and the fact that I'm really grieving being young. And I tell people that often, and I tell my sponsees that. I'll say a word about sponsoring. I've loved sponsoring. I'm not a really good sponsor for one reason, is that I travel a ton for work. And because of it, you have to be really flexible with time zones and It's a really hard thing because I'm like, oh, this is the time, this is the time. And I think it's really hard. So I do a lot of launch pad for people, which is get them through the first three steps and then hand them off to someone who can be really with them day in and day out. And I had a lot of um, 
self-hatred about that. Like, I'm not doing it right. And so my sponsor once said to me, like, you're a launch pad. That's what you are. Just be a launch pad, springboard. And that's really where I'm at. And I, I think one of the things that I talk a lot about is really owning who you are and what you are and God's dreams for you. Because I spend a lot of time doing that. Um, I'll say one other thing is that I saw a lot of violence growing up. And I still have the ability to be violent to myself with my words, with my desires. I still have the desire sometimes to implode my life. There is a really self-destructive piece of me um, because it's like a reflex. When you go to the doctor and they take that thing to your knee and it reflexes up because it just it's automatic, that's my reflex is it's my fault. And if I can fix it, then this wouldn't be a problem. And what I've learned over the years is that's me trying to play God. It's just narcissism. It's just me thinking that, you know, God, you stand over there and I'll stand over here and I'll run it while you take a break. And the truth is, you know, God's not taking a break and I don't need to run it for God. So each morning I do this meditation that I'd love to share with you, which is that I visualize myself handing over each of whatever in my life to God. And in 30 years, I would think that the same image would come up, but every morning it's totally different. It's totally different. Sometimes it's a basket. Sometimes it's, I mean, I can't even tell you how many images have come up. I don't even know if my imagination has the room for that many images. And things come up on that list that I, for 10 years, all I saw was handing over snakes. And let me tell you, I've never seen a snake except for like when I was 12. But I just had this fear of that. And what I've learned in the rooms is like, I hand over everything each morning, and then all day long I try to take it back, and then sometimes God and I have like a discourse, sometimes we have contention, some we have arguments, sometimes it's, it, it's, it's a constant dialogue throughout the day, um, but sometimes it's not, and what I live with today is a lot of peace, a lot of peace, and um, very imperfectly, I'll just say, and then I'll, oh, I don't even know, I'll just say that... Um, I'm incredibly grateful. And people talk about being a grateful, compulsive overeater. Maybe that's the next 10 years. Maybe that's not a grateful, compulsive overeater because I'm grateful that I got to the rooms that I've gotten in recovery, and I'm grateful that I live a very different life. And I'm grateful that God truly has my back on a daily basis. I'm grateful that, you know, I look at people and they come into the rooms and they stay and they recover. It's incredible. Incredible. It is absolutely a miracle, and I don't understand it. And I believe all miracles are not meant for rational understanding. But I'm incredibly grateful because I do live a very different life. And it's not dictated by violence. It's not dictated by how do I get myself safe? Where can I find safety? What do I do to get safe? And how much do I need to eat in order to feel safe? And when I, got, when I was 50 pounds heavier, um, my brother said to me, I'll never forget this. He's like, you're really fat. And I said, I'm really protected. And the reason I got fat, and I believe it, was because I needed that protection. And I tell this to people, I walk into the rooms, and people will come into a program, and the first six months, they'll lose 30 pounds. And it's been a lot of years that I had a lot of jealousy about that. I did not have that experience. Each step I worked, I lost five more pounds. So it took me 10 years to lose the 30 pounds. Like, 
really slowly. Like each step was so slow. And I would have so much resentment. I'd watch someone come in and they would lose 30 pounds the first six months. They're like, I feel great. And I'd be like, shoot, I got to put that on my fourth step. Another resentment. Um, it's just, for me, it was so deeply, the physical, the emotional, and spiritual were so deeply linked. And that the steps required me, the deep working of the steps was the only thing that enabled me to have that physical recovery. And so I'll take some questions. I, um, I do a 10-step. I'm trying to think of anything else. I go to three meetings a week. I, I work the program. Um, I work it very imperfectly, but I work it and I don't leave. And whatever your life throws at you, I can give you a whole list of things that have happened in my life, a whole list. And if I told you them, you'd be like, have pity, you'd have sadness, you'd have excitement, you'd have joy, you'd have all these feelings. All of them, the thorough line has been staying in the rooms. That's the thorough line. Marriage, kids, all the things that comes with a big, comprehensive, full life, career, death, everything you can imagine, and in everything in between. Um, but I have been very present for it, and I'm incredibly grateful for that. And I think, um, I think God smiles often on these rooms. And they say that God weeps when we grieve, and that I also think God rejoices when we rejoice. And I do think that when we're in these rooms together recovering, that God is tremendously rejoicing. Because I don't think God imagines any of us to be violent to ourselves, to hurt ourselves, to be self-loathing. I just don't think that's why we were created. And so to learn how to do that with the help of others, what I see are the other divine beings in the world, I feel very grateful. So thanks a lot. Oh, what's a difficult situation in my recovery, in my life, that I and how I use the tools to do it? So I can think of like uh, seven this week, <laughs> trying to think which one I want to pick to, to narrate. But, um, you know, I would say that marriage after 20 years is boring. It's really hard. And uh, my instinct in life is to run fast and free. That's why I used the phone, right? Because it was to get me out of whatever situation I was currently in, whether it was emotionally to take me out or to physically take me out. And I think what I do with the steps is I literally work. I'm doing a four-step on my marriage currently with my sponsor. I work a 10-step each night with it. I'm honest with my sponsor no matter what, even the things that make me look really bad, which is really hard because um, she's the most non-judgmental person, but I am very judgmental of myself. And so I'll be like, you don't want to hear this. And she'll be like, tell me anyway. Um, so I do that. And then I have a, what I call an executive board in the rooms. That's a group of people that I've been calling and are my closest friends in these rooms. And I talk to them on a regular basis. I talk, I have at least three program calls a day, I realize, but I, not as many outreach to newcomers as I should. But when I use should, I usually know that that's a bad word too. So, um, but I do have my little executive board of directors and I'm honest with them. And, uh, and I can say back to them, you know, that I don't want to talk about it or whatever. And, you know, most of my problems are of my own making. And most of my solutions are in the steps. And so I spend a lot of time with God saying, you know, this is midlife, right? 20 years being with anyone is a pain in the ass, right? So my question is, how do I find what's really magical about this marriage 
and also reclaim that within me, right? Um, so, and my life has been very much age stage. You know, like, it, for me, my experience is when I'm not in the food, life happens to me, around me, and in me the way that God has planned. That doesn't mean that it's all good. It just means that I'm able to participate in it. Does that answer your question? It does, thank you. Sure. Someone else? Hi, sweetie. Can you describe what it took for you to heal the violent past that you talked about? Sure. So what did it take for me to heal the violent past? For me, I needed outside help. Um, And I don't... For me, the entire body of recovery is everything that it took for me to put down the food so that I could be present in my life. So for me, it took outside help. And um, violence is a really complicated thing. And... You know, if I was sharing at this meeting, last time I shared at this meeting was eight years ago, I found out, Michelle told me, and because I don't like to share at big meetings, and uh, I don't think eight years ago I could have even said the word violence, even though we had the violence that, like, the police were at our house, we had to take recovery classes, like, we had the violence that is, um, like, the recognizable, like, bright lights violence where other people knew and where, um, you know, our, literally our house went up in flames because my brother set it on fire. I mean, like, that kind of violence where the police department knows you by name, you know. Um, We lived in a shelter. I mean, we did things that were really crazy. Um, And what I think about a lot now is, like, you know, drugs, alcohol, violence, like, it's just, you know, it's just part of our story. And for me, I just needed to keep talking about it and to come to terms with the shame of it. Um, I am not a violent person, but I can be very violent to myself, and it is a reflex, but it's not my essence. Um, And I was taught it. Um, And what makes me sad is that sometimes I still invite it in in very uh, minuscule ways, like someone with verbal violence or someone's bullying, and then I have like a moment of like, Oh, but I will say this. My bandwidth for it and tolerance is getting very, very small. Um, I can't even take violent words. Someone says something mean. Sure. Someone says something mean to me, like, at the market, and I I don't even respond with, like, that was mean. I'm like, you must be having a bad day. Like, I I just don't even, it's like, I don't have a bandwidth for it. But I think God's removing it one day at a time. God willing, at 120, when I've lived a good long life, I will say, you know, violence is part of the story, <laughs> but it isn't the story. And it isn't the story, which is why I don't tell details about it, because it doesn't define me. So I do abstain from them. That does not mean that it's been perfect in the 30 years. I would love to say that I have back-to-back, no sugar, white flour, but I have taken it back. It's very related to my period, to be honest, and my hormones. Um, and we've tracked it over the years and certain day. And I commit it when I do have it. I'm very, the thing I would say is, for me, secrecy was the big problem with my food. So I'm not secret at all about my food. I say exactly what I eat. Um, sometimes I have a lot of shame about that. Like, I feel like I should have back-to-back. And, again, that's my perfectionism. This has been my journey. Um, that being said, on a regular basis, I choose not to eat it, and I give it to God. That doesn't mean sometimes it speaks to me. Um, but when it speaks to me is when I really have to give it away. When it doesn't speak to me is... But it's never been my friend. It's never been my friend. And I believe that there are obstacles that keep us from being our authentic selves. And sugar and white flour are the 
there's a word in Hebrew called klipot, which are um, barriers. And sugar and white flour are barriers to me. And so I don't want them. But some days my hormones really want them. So, um, but I'm honest about it. And I will also say to everybody, abstinence to me is a big A. It is this entire body of work called staying in recovery. Food plan is one of those tools. And so my food plan has changed. And if someone said to me today what I would eat, like 30 years ago, I would have said no, because I don't have Diet Coke. I, like, I eat really healthy. And people say to me, oh, my God, you're such a healthy eater. And I'm like, no, I'm not. But it's like, you know, it's all perspective. And the first thing I ever put down when I came into the rooms um, that first night at the meeting, she said to me, what can you put down that's causing you pain? And I said, popcorn and frozen yogurt. And I don't eat those things. I haven't eaten those things. In, because those were the things that, you know. So it's been my journey. But for whatever food plan works for you, please embrace it. Please. Um, I will say that along the way, in 30 years, the, pro- the program has changed with the food plans. It used to be very, very rigid, and it gave you a food plan. And I kept passing out from it at 4 o'clock every day. So I really, what I have to do is almost eat every two to three hours. And so I do eat little bits throughout the day, but very healthy. So Deanna asks, how do I have such a strong faith in my higher power? Uh, for today, I have a strong faith. I don't know about yesterday or tomorrow. Uh, what I would say is that, you know, when I do a 10-step, the, there's another column because I follow the big book. And then the other column is now that I'm living a spiritual life, what would God have me do given this situation again? And I never want to fill out that comment, column. I just want to, like, talk to the resentment, see what it affects, you know. And, and my sponsor always is like, let's focus on that other column. And I think for me what's created faith or grown my faith is that I've always stayed in dialogue with God. So I'm pissed. I tell God I'm pissed. I've been having this ongoing conversation the last two weeks about why God put me in this particular situation. I'm very angry about it. I'm not interested in it. I keep saying, God, are you like delusional? But I'm very in it constantly. And I talk to God in the car, in the shower. Um, My kids are so funny because now they're teenagers. And they'll be like, Mom, don't go God on us. Because I'll be like in the car, be like driving, you know, and I'll be like, let's let's pray for a parking space. And the kids will be like, really? Could you just be like, you know? But I make it so much a part of it that even my assistant the other day, he said something very funny. He smiled at me and he said, that's God's will, right? And I was like, now you're getting it. And he was being sarcastic. He was being sarcastic and I wasn't. <laughs> and, um, you know, faith is like a muscle. It just continues to grow if you continue to work at it. And I think for different people, it's very hard because we all come with our childhood stories of faith being broken. And and my childhood story, you know, faith was very was very violent. And so and my parents used faith in a violent way. So for me, you know, I, I see an opportunity to bring faith into the world and to give people an opportunity to be empowered by it. So... Sure, absolutely. I love talking about my morning routine because I'm so into it. Um, my morning routine gets earlier and earlier and earlier because my kids get up earlier and earlier and earlier. And so I get up at 5.40, typically, and it sounds crazy. And my first instinct is to grab the phone. I put the phone. I grab the phone, I put it down, and then I visualize giving over everything to God. Then I grab the phone because I love that phone so much. And I put my meditation books on it. I actually took them off now because I put the phone then back down and I walk into my meditation room. I have a meditation 
area in my bedroom. I look at it every day. I never sit down. I like walk by it and it reminds me to get up my books. So I get my books. I read them. There's two books I use one day at a time and a book from another program. And then I write based on it. Um, it usually a page in the book. Then I say to God, usually a bunch of questions in there, like, what would you have me do today? What does it look like today? Give me some guidance, whatever it looks like. Then I get my kids ready for school. And then at 7.15, I call my sponsor. And we talk from 7.15 to 7.25. Um, and then certain days of the week, I go to a meeting in the morning. I go to another program as well. So it just depends on what meeting I go to. Um, a lot of mothers always say to me, do you have guilt about leaving in the morning because I have someone drive my kids to school in order to get to meetings? I have guilt about it, and then I do four steps on it, and I do all those things. Like, I have guilt about it, I have shame about it, but I still go because I will not be their mother, and I will not be her well if I'm not at a meeting. So much so that my little guy says to me some days, um, you go do your thing, and I'll just go to school, and then we'll reconvene at four. <laughs> And I love that because they know that whatever happens in that orbit, it makes me better um, to them. Um, and then usually right before I go to bed, I, I say I also have a set of Jewish prayers that I do and a physical practice, whether it's yoga and meditation. So I do that in the morning as well. It sounds like a long time. The whole thing wraps up in like pretty quickly because I, I move through it along with like making breakfast for the kids. And then at night before I go to bed, over the years I've done 10 steps written. Right now I'm not currently doing that, but I do a 10-step. And if I, I keep the phone right by my bed, if I need to call someone, I do. I often call people and say, I just need to clean up my side of the street. Um, I just need to do this. And uh, the other thing I used to do, my mother died 10 years ago. Um, before she died, but every night I used to call her as part of my recovery. And I would say, you know, I don't need to win the lottery because I got you, and then she'd say, it's really good if you won the lottery still. And then I would say, but we got each other, and I would say that she was my angel that brought me into the rooms. And I wished recovery on her, but that was not her journey. Um, and her journey was different and better and whatever. But that's my routine. So, a lot of meetings. Hi, sweetie. I love that I know, like, all the... I remember people coming into the rooms, which is really great. Wait, stay for 30 years, and you get to see all these people coming to recover. It's really cool. Really cool. Oh, I love that question coming from you. Do I bring 12-step parenting into my... <laughs> liking that question. No bias, no nothing. Um, do I bring 12-step? Yes. And when I don't, I suck as a parent. I'm a really um, B-plus parent. Like, I'm kind of a, a B-plus in life. Do you know what I mean? Like, and that's not in a pejorative way, but... Um, I'm not like a, an A-plus parent. Like, my children are not my world. And no, 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 no. It's like my world is recovery. And they're beneficiaries, and we all live in this world together. And so I do bring it. Um, I don't say to my kids, now, we're going to work step two right now. I don't say that. They would literally, I mean, I have teenagers. They would literally look at me like, they tease me enough as it is. They're like, Mom, you're going so dewy on us. Mom, you know. Like, I mean, the more the, the amount of criticism. But I do work a lot of my boundaries, my resentments. Like, I, I work asking for forgiveness. Yesterday I did something to my son, and I said, you know, I need to ask for forgiveness because I didn't handle this well. And I totally ran it through the steps. I had already written it in my in my journal, like, I've got journals, boxes of journals, but um, but I don't say to them, now I'm working the steps. One thing I struggle with is I have one child that's a compulsive overeater, 
And I've really had to turn it over that God's will for him is God's will for him. And, uh, and that I found the rooms and my mother brought me to them. So maybe that's his journey. I have no idea. But I don't get in my kids' food. I never am in their food, in their... And it's funny because uh, sometimes my spouse is very much into that. And I also let him live and let live. So um, it's not my way anymore today. So thanks so much.